please welcome John Whitley. Let us pray. Holy Spirit of God, would you come into this place now, into our hearts and minds and imaginations, uh, encourage us, guide us, we pray, and send us forth ready to do your work in your way, to the building up of your kingdom and to your praise. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's a great joy for me to be here today. It's an honor to meet my teachers at this event to see some of my students at this event, to see so many of my kids' teachers at this event, see my own brother at this event, Mark Whitvliet, now here at Dutton Christian School back in the Midwest after years of Redlands, so shout out to you, Mark. It's, um, as I was driving in this morning, I was thinking of how profoundly grateful I am for Christian education, how for the last, uh, let's see, 19, uh, well, about 13, 14 years now, um, after every single teacher-parent conference, my wife and I come home grateful. Those are some of our best nights of the year when we feel the investment in the lives of our kids by you, some of you in this very space, and it's a, it's a great honor to address you today. It has also been a joy for me personally, spiritually, to live for about the last year and a half since I was invited to do this with six words, establish the work of our hands. And these six words have come to mean a great deal to me. I have come to see these six words as a little bit of uh, worldview therapy. There is a lot packed in these six words. And the way I would like to actually invite us more deeply into these six words as a kind of benediction to this convention is this way. Imagine with me that you have three highlighter pens and a brand new Bible. It's for your new exploration again of text that you've loved for a long time. And you take one of those highlighter pens and you highlight all the verses in which God is the primary agent, in which God is at work doing things. Those verses that are 100% divine action. There are many powerful 100% divine action verses. Here's one. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's the agent. God's doing the work. It's pure grace, 100% God. Here'd be another one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 100% God. Beautiful. One highlighter for those many verses. Then take a second highlighter pen and highlight all the places that emphasize the beautiful human agency into which we are invited. Do not bear false witness. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Commands, imperatives that set in motion certain aspects of human agency. But then take the third highlighter pen for a different set of verses 
And these are the remarkable verses that speak about both divine agency and human agency coming together. I have come to see these verses as some of the most life-giving, encouraging verses for us, especially as we think about our work as educators. Here, here are a few that you have to highlight. There's Proverbs 16, verse 9. We make our plans, God determines our steps. You see, human agency and divine agency brought together in one verse. There's one of the most famous of all from Philippians chapter 2. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, human agency. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, divine agency. See how those beautiful verses, that two verses, bring them together so powerfully. Paul liked these kind of sentences, by the way. He, he loves them. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, I work harder than any of them, other uh, bears the gospel. Human agency. But then he adds, though it was not I, but the grace of God at work within me, divine agency. Or, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. You see what's happening here? We're looking for all those verses that collapse human and divine agency tightly into one space. Now, if you teach high school grammar, this next section's for you. Because um, verb forms often do this work in the Bible. Often passive verbs, which I was taught to use almost never. They still come far too easily for me. But sometimes in the Bible, they are uh, packed with meaning. So the disciples walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, are, their change of heart is described in the passive voice. It says, their eyes were opened. Passive verb, God's action. But now, think about these sentences in the New Testament that bring together both passive and active verbs in one sentence. You got to have that third pen for these verses too. Paul writes, be transformed, passive, by the renewing of your minds, active. Or Peter, when he writes, come to Jesus Christ, the living stone, active, and let yourselves, still active, be built into a spiritual house, passive. Human and divine action coming together. And wow, Psalm 90, in just six words, does it the most concisely, in the most super concentrated way. Establish the work of our hands. Establish God's action. The work of our hands, human action. May you be at work in, through, around, and when necessary, in spite of us. This bringing together of human and divine action, of course, is not the whole gospel. We need both justification, divine action, 100%. God does it start to finish. And sanctification, where God's action is at work in and through us, helping us live out and grow up to the full stature of disciples of Jesus Christ. It's both justification and sanctification that make up what we call grace.
grace or salvation. And it's these dual agency verses that pack it together so tightly. I teach courses related to worship, and one of the big themes that we emphasize in those courses, especially coming out of the Reformed Christian tradition, is how important it is to celebrate, acknowledge, and cherish how God is the one who is at work in worship. Yes, we may break the bread at the Lord's table and share the cup, but it is God whose spirit is at work in and through us, making that for us our feeding on the body of Christ. It's this human and divine agency interweaving that make worship the means of grace, such a beautiful vision uh, that we inherit and receive. It frees us, those of us who lead worship, from thinking that everything in a worship service that will have lasting power depends on us and our creativity and imagination and how well we play in tune and all of that. That ultimately, that is a terrible burden to bear as a worship leader if you think it all depends on you. But what a gift it is to invest deeply as a worship leader, knowing that it is the Spirit who will give a divine legacy to that preparation and planning, and that it is God's agency that makes it possible and at work. Uh, whenever I come to South Bend, Indiana, I think of my three years up the street in a graduate program at the University of Notre Dame. It was a great joy to be there. And it was where I learned one of the best lessons in Reformed theology from my Methodist professor at a Catholic university. <laughs> he uh, was teaching a class on the history of worship, and he was uh, actually going through this long history. And it's a fascinating thing to have a Methodist teach you history in a Catholic institution when around the table are people from about 10 denominations. And he got to this moment where he was actually getting to John Calvin and the Reformed tradition, and he said, you know, one of the best things that John Calvin ever came up with was this uh, uh, a prayer for illumination. That moment right before the reading and preaching of Scripture where a pastor will say, and now we pray for the Holy Spirit. He said, we Methodists like that so much that we decided to put it in our, all of our new worship books, too. And I have to tell you, I had, you know, gone to Christian schools, uh, Calvin College at the time, Calvin Seminary. I don't think I had ever once heard anybody talk about that little element of a worship service. And here was a Methodist professor. Here, and here's what he said. What a gift it is when I preach, he said, as a Methodist. And it was just a little church around the corner from here that where he did preach. To actually get up in the pulpit on Sunday and to be able to pray, may your spirit be at work. I find myself so freed in that moment. It's not my brilliance. It's not my creativity. It's not my rhetoric. It's, it's not the most memorable story I can come with, up with that's going to make this spiritually lasting. It's going to be the Holy Spirit that brings it home. It is a call, an invitation for me to preach in step with the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit, and after I get done preaching, to not worry too much about whether those fruits will come. I am granted the gift of breath. Now the writer of Psalm 90 prays these words, establish the work of our hands. Be active, O God, in our action, so it has a lasting legacy. But it's important for us to say, briefly, that it comes after a kind of Ecclesiastes moment. 
Psalm 90 begins beautifully. Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. And it ends so beautifully. Establish the work of our hands. But those middle eight verses are some rough territory there. The theme is the wrath of God, the mortality of humans, the fleetingness of life. All of life is despair. I don't know about you, but when this kind of psalm comes up at the family dinner table, at about verse 6, you kind of want to head for the exit. Because the theme is so dark. The length of our years is set, is set, the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow. They quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. This beautiful prayer established the work of our hands actually comes at the end of Ecclesiastes' despair. As I was preparing for today, I began to think about the fact that all of us, I think any educator, every one of us surely has a little spot in our heart for that kind of Ecclesiastes moment. Is it really making a difference? Are all of my late night dreams making a difference? Are all of these extra things that I'm doing to try to make a connection making a difference? And there are some years where that Ecclesiastes part of my own heart grows bigger and bigger. And maybe in this room, some of the pain that was named has to do with that kind of Ecclesiastes moment. I, I ran across another Ecclesiastes moment in Isaiah 49. Here, here's the called messianic servant of God saying, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain for nothing. And then, just like in Psalm 90, the perspective changes. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, the one who formed me in the womb to be his servant, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant? To bring restoration to the tribes of Jacob and break back those of Israel I have kept. The journey in Psalm 49 and the journey in Psalm 90 are a lot like the journey of my friend and someone known to many of you, a theologian by the name of Todd Billings. Todd was diagnosed with cancer several years ago. He teaches at Western Theological Seminary. Uh, this cancer will never... Uh, humanly speaking, be healed. There's, there's no cure for it. He lives with it every day. He could have died some years ago now. He's written beautifully and powerfully and compellingly about his experience. And I recall one column that he wrote that confronted me on a day of some despair, um, where he said, essentially, the only difference between me and you is that, well, you know, we're all dying. It's just that I know I am. And then he went on, actually, to narrate the perspective that that gives and the invitation, in effect, to say, we're all dying. Why not invest as deeply as we can, knowing that God can do astonishing things with even our most feeble and frail efforts? Now, five years later or so, a couple books later, many columns later, 
all operating out of Todd's life with kind of half energy. He has a couple hours of energy a day. He has to choose where to invest it very carefully. I marvel at what God has done through him. And I marvel, as I think about it, at, at so many points about how people who didn't know they were making a difference have made a difference. As I was uh, planning for today, I began to think about many of my own teachers, three of whom funeraled very recently. Barb Hookema, Wes Vernat, Jack Postman. Those names are going to be familiar to many of you. And I rejoice at how God worked through them in my own life. And then I started to think back to some of my earliest teachers and started listing how many specific things I can recall from their lives. And it occurred to me last week that I can remember the favorite song of my fourth grade teacher. Uh, Mrs. Ann Humphus in the Holland Christian School System loved the song, I'm the Good and Faithful. And I still remember it all these years later. And I remember the little question and answer box she had on the corner of her desk. She knew that fourth graders had a lot of questions they didn't feel comfortable asking. So it was anonymous. You could put any question you wanted in that box, and she would pull one out every day and try to answer it. What a gift that question and answer box was. It is moving to think about the power how God has worked through others in our own lives. Through people who, like every one of us, are on our way to death, absolutely. But we do that knowing that God can do amazing things, and we live in, a, in, a, in the context of a worldview that doesn't just say, God does things 100% over here, humans do one thing 100% over here, we live in a context of a worldview in which we see ourselves in the middle of that divine activity. Called to walk in step with the Spirit, trusting that it is the Spirit who will make of lasting value and power what we do. It is one of the greatest, greatest gifts the Christian faith offers us. But now, there's a little trouble when we get to this area theologically. And one of the things I do notice from a lot of Christian school graduates is that when we get to this spot of how God is at work in and through us, we sometimes fall into a little trap. It's the trap of a kind of God of the gaps approach. God of the gaps approach would be this, that yes, God's activity picks up where ours leaves off. So in science, God of the gaps would be this. Uh, anything we can explain has having a natural cause. Well, that's the natural cause. What we think God does is the parts that we can't explain. And then the problem is, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer once pointed out, the more we start explaining by science, the less and less room there is for God. It's an old theological problem. Well, this is true in our life, too. It is very easy to work and 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 work, thinking that's all our effort. And then God comes in at the end to help kind of, you know, scrape the fruit out of the seed that we planted there. Uh, in worship, there, 
you, you hear little phrases like, um, well, we didn't have time to plan this week. I guess it will be the Spirit's turn. Yeah, or maybe in our worship service we should, quote, leave room for the Spirit this week. It's well-intentioned, but it creates the impression that the Spirit works only in the day. But all those sentences from Paul and another besides, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, invites us not to think about the Holy Spirit only operating in the gaps, but at every single step of the way. The Holy Spirit encouraging us, the Holy Spirit equipping us, the Holy Spirit giving us gifts, the Holy Spirit giving us the inclination to want to use those gifts, the Holy Spirit creating the opportunities for learning and growth of those gifts, the Holy Spirit being with us as we plan lessons, the Holy Spirit um, being with us as we think prayerfully about kids in our, uh, in our classrooms that need particular attention the Holy Spirit being with us every step of the way as we prepare and deliver that class session, the Holy Spirit being with us on the playground, the Holy Spirit being with our kids in the playground, we live and move and have our being in the context of God's world in which God is active start to finish. It's a completely different way of imagining how we relate to God, and it is these verses, these human and dual agency verses that invite us into that worldview Oh, God, establish the work of our hands. Minister to us in those moments when we feel that Ecclesiastes impulse. Help us confront our mortality honestly. Help us to invest then deeply because we want to out of the sheer gift and love of your love that you've given us. And then at the end of it all, help us sleep like a baby. Because in the end, it will be God who brings that fruit years later. I doubt that Mrs. Humphreys would ever have thought that in 2019 someone would still be remembering her question and answer box. May God bless you and keep you in your important work. May God bless you with parents and kids that encourage you. But even when they don't, May God bless you and strengthen you with the deep awareness that you do your work in an environment saturated by the Holy Spirit and where the Holy Spirit will be the one to bring it home. May God give you the grace every day to wake up and pray, establish the work of my hands, and then give you joy in that work. So as you leave this place, go out, rest up, have a great weekend, and come Monday morning, pour it into those kids, start to finish. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.